I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my we welcome you on in to the Made for March podcast after maybe the greatest basketball game I've ever watched in my entire life. Best Is that hyperbole? No. So, did you hear what Jay Billis said this morning? I He's didn't. on Sports Center, and he said that he got he was getting calls all night long from people across the country talking about that game and where it ranks in the all timers. And obviously, a lot of people's minds go to Duke, Kentucky, the '92 Leitner shot. And he got a call from Vern Lundquist. And Vern was on the call for that game. And Vern told him that last night, the game between UCLA and Gonzaga was the best he's ever seen. Best he's it, ever seen. It had everything, man. I mean, I don't know. The When you think about just, obviously, a lot of fans have seen the remarkable plays now, if you're listening to this podcast. But Jalen Suggs' block was the third best thing he did in the final oh three God. and a half minutes I mean, of regulation. The block wasn't even the best part of that entire sequence. No. The best part of that entire right. sequence was the pass. <laughs> yeah. That was and, like, I mean, I don't even know. That, was, that wasn't even like an NBA pass. That was like an NBA All-Star game pass. That's right. what that was. It was stupid that he was able to fit that in that window. I, I just, you don't see guys make that sort of play, let alone freshmen make that sort of play. Honestly, you don't see guys do that except for him because he's done that bounce pass like three or four times this year. And it's cool that he did it on such a big stage and such a big moment. He honestly, I can't remember a time that I have jumped out of my seat from a pass besides one from Jalen Suggs in the, in the past year. He's done it a couple times now where he's made you jump out of your seat from a pass. That does not happen often, unless it's like a behind-the-back or some type of all-star game pass. But to do it in the Final Four, it was just jaw-dropping. And we're going to get into all of it on the pod today. We'll also talk a little bit on the end of this uh, shorter episode, because we will have a recap to the national title game. I don't even think we were planning on on doing one, but this game was just downright so much fun. that Too good. Yeah, we had to talk about it. So... We will uh, discuss the now Baylor-Gonzaga hyped-up game that we're getting. We'll dive also, into... Also, if you came for Baylor and Houston analysis, uh, you're going to have a yeah, bad time, no. as they like to say. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's much to discuss there. Baylor was better. Like, Here's my analysis. We, we I should have hedged. Like... Yeah. <laughs> That's my analysis <laughs> from that one. Um, yeah, no, I actually... probably couldn't have even... Because what was the one scenario I gave you where if you were going to do a live hedge on Bovada Sportsbook... Well, the one scenario I said you cannot have is Baylor get out to a big lead early, like in the first minute or two. That's exactly what happened. It was over after that. Right. So we will dive into our favorite bets on Bovada Sportsbook for the national title game. So stick around for that. But let's dive into this amazing, amazing basketball game between UCLA and Gonzaga. I would say for me, top tournament games in my lifetime now Gonzaga UCLA this one we just watched I'd say is probably number one and honestly I'm biased because or I'm I, I guess anti-biased because I don't want to rank Nova UNC number one even though right. it might objectively be better because it was a I don't final think it game is. I get it, it it was the final game I don't know like that game was awesome, this game dude. like that game was also awesome but I don't know this one this one had like a little different juice to it because like maybe that, that, I, that was two heavyweights. This was Goliath giving one of the best teams we've ever seen in our lifetimes 
a real run for its money, and then a freshman making the half-court bank shot. Unbelievable. Yeah, and honestly, a a big takeaway from the entire game is I could not be more impressed with UCLA and their ability to just constantly hit shots. Yeah. I'll say this. The best player in the tournament that I saw this year, it's not like Jalen Suggs has been fantastic. All right. He's been unbelievable. Johnny Juzang has been the best player in this tournament. Like, give him the most outstanding player of the tournament. He, he's he been on. Un- There's never been a shot that he's taken in this tournament where I'm like, yeah, that's not going in. And I know he's missed shots, but I've never felt unconfident with a shot that he's taken. Like, I've seen Corey Kispert take some shots where I'm like, no. What, like, what are you doing? That's a bad shot. There are no bad shots for Johnny Juzang with the way that he was playing to close out this tournament. He was on another level. I mean, this guy, I don't know what his NBA draft prospects were like heading into this. I'm sure he was like first round-ish. I don't Bona even think he was. 10. I think he's like, skyrocketed into that conversation now, like, though. How can you not, after seeing that, and, and you know he's got the NBA body and, and intangibles, all that stuff, how is he not a top 10 pick? Right. Like, unless there's some guys in the, like, I, I don't know the, the entire G League scope or there's some overseas guys, and obviously we'll have NBA draft analysis for you as we get into the offseason, but he played like a top 10 pick that entire tournament. He played better. Like, think about a guy. We talked about Moses Moody as a guy who could really see his draft stock rise because of this tournament. And, like, he was sitting probably in, like, the 7 to 10 range, and maybe he could jump a G League guy or two as a result of this tournament, Johnny Juzang, if I'm an NBA team, I want Johnny Juzang over Moses Moody right now, based on what I've seen. And maybe that's prisoner of the moment, and that's not how NBA scouts work, but... That's not how they work, yeah. I think That's not how they work, but, like, my eyes saw what they saw, and they saw Moses Moody crap the bed for three games or whatever it was for, for Arkansas during this tournament, and I saw Johnny Juzang will his team to victories against some really good teams, and he was never not one of the best players on the court. He was pretty much the best player on the court until he got to that Gonzaga game where we kind of crowned him as like that third or fourth guy on the court. But when he got to that Gonzaga game, he played like one or two. So he always overachieved every step of the way throughout this tournament. Honestly, this entire UCLA team overachieved. Like, I mean, how about Cody Riley? Cody Riley. Cody Riley was hitting jump shots. Like, he made I don't think he missed a mid-range jumper. I just every time he shot it I was like, "No, he can't." Do, oh my god, he did it again. I had the same confidence of him shooting a jump shot as I did watching Joakim Noah shoot a jump shot. It makes and, no sense. It's, it's, yeah. It's broken form and I'm not saying they have the same shooting form, but it's a it's a very like hitchy jump shot that Cody Riley has. Never felt confident and one they were time all that, that thing was going too, in. Yes. For the most they were. part, they were like late in shot clock sort of shots too, like there was two seconds left, and he was just the guy there, didn't have anywhere to pass, so I'm going to shoot this turnaround 18-footer and say a prayer while it's in the air, and they would go in. And he was making big blocks down the stretch. He was doing some fantastic stuff defensively, getting some easy dunks. You know, it was funny. Gonzaga employed a press at probably like the eight or so minute mark in the game, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is where things go haywire for UCLA because what happens when teams press is you see these offenses try to speed everything up. And to like if I were to be a college basketball consultant, my number one advice for anyone that's running a press is that the 30 seconds are more valuable than the two points. You do not have to rush a bad layup 
to just because you're ahead of the pack and in a, a two-on-one. You don't have to rush a bad layup. Instead, pull it out. But Cody Riley was converting dunks on that end. And, and UCLA, they were moving fast despite the press. And it honestly ended up working for them. Usually it doesn't work for these teams. Yeah, they kind of dictated the pace of the game. And after the first half, it was remarkable how good they played in the first half. And they still were down by one still at were the end of the first. By, yeah, <laughs> because yeah, like, Zaga went on a mini run to close it out. But you're like, all right. It always felt like the wheels were going to fall off at a certain point. Like there were a couple turning points. Even that Suggs block and, and sequence on the bounce pass sure. to, to Timmy felt like it was over there. Felt like it was really, really over, and it just wasn't because they kept hitting big shots. They got a three from, was it Jules Bernard or Jaime Jaquez? Uh, they got a late three from from him, and they kept making little counter punches. And I saw a great stat. There, The game was never separated either way by more than two possessions for 43 minutes and I think it was like 35 seconds. It was always within two possessions for all but about 90 seconds of that game. They and always had a counterpunch. Yeah. Right. And I didn't think UCLA was going to have those counterpunches in them because no one has counterpunched against Gonzaga. But credit to UCLA. They they played a hell of a game. They shot the ball well. And, I mean, you can't say enough about what, what Johnny Juzang did. Now, at, at a certain point, I was just like, okay, they're, they're just going to keep hitting these mid-range jumpers. Like, Nate Oates is somewhere throwing his remote at the amount of jumpers that he's watching that on I his lost television. That team that's that's shooting eighteen and twenty footers. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah, late in the shot clock, tough contested long twos, but they were just going down. And at a certain point, I was like, I'm stop thinking that it's not sustainable. It's going to just keep going in. This team has a certain level of moxie and heart. They're not backing down. Whether it's Tiger Campbell, whether it's Johnny Juzang, Hawkes, whoever. They really brought it from the start, and they gave Gonzaga such a fight that I never really felt like, which is kind of weird to say, I never really felt like Gonzaga was going to lose the game, and I was keeping an eye on kind of the Bovada live lines as the game was going on, just to see what Vegas was thinking, because remember, they started the game as 14.5 point favorites, but... Yeah, largest in a Final Four game. Yeah, and this is the but also the first Final Four game in 23 years to go to a Final Four, which I thought was kind of surprising that... It's you said to go to overtime? Seat. You mean to go or, to overtime? Sorry, I said to go to a Final Four, didn't I? Yeah. To go to overtime, yes, thank you. Um, so anyway, it's amazing that they sent the game to overtime. It's amazing that even in the overtime, after Nemhard hit that three and they got down by five, and even Timmy made some big plays at the start of the overtime, and they got down by four, they had a counterpunch to that. They just always had something for Gonzaga. And did you ever feel like Gonzaga was going to lose at any point? Yes, I, I did. It's a very specific moment when Juzang dry, drove with like whatever yep. it was. that, And I saw the ref start to, I heard the whistle and I saw the ref. He took his first step and maybe we got to get like, we got to talk to our guy, Jonathan Hoppy, Mr. Referee. But the <laughs> first step he made looked like he was about to call a block. Like he's evening up his feet. You know how like when a charge happens, a ref's going to take a step forward to signal the the calls sure. going down, but a block he'll even it up up his feet, and if you watch it, he evens up the feet first, and then he makes the charge call going. I thought we were getting the block. They looked like that baseline referee was about to go block on it, and I'll say this: Do I think it was a charge? No, 
but do I think that should have oh, been? Oh, it was I, a charge, I think, it, I think. You think it was a charge? Yeah, It definitely. felt like, it, to me, that was a perfect no call. And I guess a charge essentially, especially when Juzang wasn't in a ton of foul trouble, uh, calling that a charge essentially makes it a no call. But I, I, to me, that was a just let him play. Let him play. I would If I was that baseline referee, I'm not blowing my whistle. Well, he was there for a good amount of time. You had to make a call, I think. I, I know it's sort of silly that it comes down to block charge, and it's so college basketball that it did come down to it. But you By the can't... way, did you see, speaking of block charge, did you see that Rex Chapman, the, the king of blocker charge, was doing some sort of sidecast with Adam Lefko? No, I, I didn't see this. I thought that was an interesting little little dynamic on the side. But yeah, the king <laughs> of blocker charge, Rex Chapman. <laughs> Got really? to, to witness that one, yeah. I saw LeBron was tweeting something like, everything's a uh, charge in college or everything's a block or it all comes down to that. And there were some funny interactions on Twitter. It was really the biggest post-COVID sports moment I think we've had because Twitter was a right. buzz after, yeah. uh, after that game. And Did I wish there was see... a bigger crowd. But did you were... see uh, the Bill Walton video of him watching the final seconds? I haven't seen that one. No, I'm it sure is, it's great. It is literally no. It's going to be the most disappointing thing you see on the internet in 2021. Oh well, it's Pac-12 Bill Walton. So was he just Pac-12. devastated? He he's he literally sees the shot, and it's like it's like a a split second of like darn we lost, and then he just starts clapping. Doesn't really say anything, just starts clapping. <laughs> it, it was a very tame, but like that's the way I felt like most UCLA fans reacted. Like it was a tip of the hat loss. You lost to a team that you knew was better than you, and you just kind of tip your hat to that. Like that's yeah. how it goes sometimes. A, a freshman makes a play, a, a guy who's going to be a top three pick makes a play and does the unthinkable. And it, it wasn't like the same sort of devastation you may have felt if you're a UCLA fan when they lost at the buzzer to a team like USC back in the regular season. It wasn't that sort of devastation. It was just a, it was more a moment of shock, but it was like, damn, we played our hearts out in that game. I'm proud of this team. They shouldn't have been here in the first place probably. And they gave the best punch at the best college basketball team that we've seen in quite some time. So, it, it's it was that balancing act, that tightrope act, and I, I'm glad that. And maybe I, I my algorithm is off, and I wasn't seeing a lot of the this on Twitter. But I'm glad I didn't see a lot of UCLA fans who were playing the the the, the I need sympathy card because we got screwed by every call here and there. I, I didn't think there was a whole lot of ref ball in this game. I don't know how you felt about it. There were bad you know, calls so, both ways, is how yeah. I felt, honestly. That's how every college basketball game goes. So yeah. I, I'm i just glad that the UCLA fans kind of, they, they wore that like a badge of pride, and they should, because that that was the best game I've seen in my life. The best game I have seen in my life, and you should be proud to be a part of that sort of game. Right. I mean, they were down by 14 to Michigan State in the first game. So the fact that they were even there is well, they that, should all be happy. And that's the crazy thing about this run. And it's funny because Gonzaga won the game, Suggs hit the shot, but it felt like the biggest story of the game and, and the tournament has been UCLA. And Yeah, they've been involved in all the tight games too. And there right. haven't been a ton lately, really. And I look at it like every time they've gone to overtime, it's felt like this team didn't do enough. And you had to get them in regulation. Otherwise, we're not going to win. And they won the first two. 
and are a miracle shot away from at least going to a second overtime and giving yourself another shot to win, it felt like every time they went to overtime, they were not going to win the game. In fact, not only were they not going to win the game, they were going to lose the game by like eight to 10 points, maybe just the way that fouls shook out and and just momentum and stuff like that. And maybe they had poured their heart into the final five minutes. What were they going to have for the next five minutes of overtime? But every time they came out and they battled and it was fun, awesome basketball to watch. And a lot of it had to do with Johnny Juzang, but you also got some fantastic contributions from guys like Tiger Campbell, as you mentioned, Cody Riley, who we've talked about. And, And I mean, Mick Cronin has changed everything there. I mean, yeah. it, it, he's quoting John Wooden. Like, UCLA fans are saying, like, this guy's one of us. Even though his coaching style doesn't feel like a one-of-us coaching style that he's employed over the, the last year or two that, he, that he's been there, he feels like he, no one has acclimated to the UCLA climate while also implementing their own fingerprint on the program probably since John Wooden. Like it's weird to say that, but everyone's kind of lived in that shadow. And I feel like Mix embraced it. And he hasn't he he's glad to be in the shadow, but he's not bothered by it. He's not intimidated by it. He doesn't feel the pressure of it. And I think that's a really cool thing to see in a head coach. No doubt. So before we get into our best bets for this Gonzaga Baylor game and just preview the title game a little bit, which by the way, I saw Bavada it opened at minus four and a half, Zaga. We'll touch on that in a little bit. I want to say one thing. I want to stand up for a rule that no one ever really stands up for. And Ooh, it's okay. I like this. It's the no timeout. Like if you can't advance the ball in a timeout, NBA discussion, NBA oh, okay. versus college front court rule. No one's right. brought this up, but think about all the great college moments we've had. All these games we're mentioning Christian Leitner, Nova UNC. This game where Jalen Suggs has to catch the ball and fly up the court, and they did have a timeout, but obviously you're not going to take it because it doesn't advance you. So you just, you it produces these frenetic plays that, like the Diakite Kihei Clark pass or the Gordon right. Hayward shot at half court, the one off the buzzer. I do feel like there's a case to be made that the NBA rule where you get to advance the ball into the front court automatically probably produces more buzzer beaters it probably produces more chances overall but isn't it like so college that these are the buzzer beaters we get and these frenetic plays come from it and i feel like like you don't get the half court buzzer beater in the nba you don't right you you never get it yeah and and i don't know it's just i want to stand up for that rule it's it's not gonna get talked about but i get what you're saying i've the way that i always look at it is i I do like the advance the ball rule because I, I'm not a huge fan of the, I don't know, like for every great Suggs moment, and I'm not saying you need a buzzer beater in every game, but like for every Suggs moment, there's like 15 where your team doesn't even touch the ball sometimes on like yeah. these baseball passes. Like we even saw it at the end of regulation after uh, UCLA tied it up and, and or no, after the, 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 the charge call. And they do the baseball pass, and Juzang just intercepts it. Like, it feels like for every right. Suggs you get, there's like 10 to 12 of, oh, well, we didn't even get to touch the ball at the end. So it's got its pros and cons both ways. It's just, to me, I care more about, on those plays, 
I care more about the destination than the journey. And I know John Rothstein, if he heard that, he would want to slip my throat. But like the bringing the ball up the floor, I don't care about that part. No, I, I see that's where I disagree. I think the journey so you, adds to it. Like it yeah, would I just, if I just feel like the and I, I get maybe it's just because I everyone's so hyper focused on like the exclamation point, the sexy part of it, and it's the shot. But the you're right, the journey probably does matter, and there is probably some tactical things that are above my head that go on during the journey of bringing the ball up the court there. But I don't know. I've just always I, I like the shot. People like the shots. The shots provide the drama. I don't necessarily think the sprinting up the court does, but I'm pro- like I, I see what you're saying though. Like right. So like, you enjoy that part of it. To, to me, me, what it's added not to as the inci- shot exciting. What added to the shot for me was you couldn't even process what was going on. Like what was going through my mind was all right, Johnny Juzang makes it, and I literally said out loud, "Wow, double overtime." And then the pass goes in. I'm like, wait, it's Jalen Suggs, Gonzaga, and this is what's processing. I'm not going to lie. I had, a little, I had a little gut feeling it was going in. When I saw him cross half court, I was like, oh, man, this is going to go in, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but there's no time versus NBA there. You call a timeout, and then you're like, all right, who are they getting the ball to? Are they going to hit the shot? They've got time. What play is Mark Few drawing up? Which I guess there's some pros to that aspect, but I was literally – like saying, are they going to call a timeout as he crossed half court? I didn't know what was going to happen. And then he pulls up and then the shot goes in and it just produces this more of a dramatic, hysteric reaction to it because you couldn't even process what just happened. Same thing happened in the UNC game where Marcus Page hits right. the shot Page and then, the shot. yeah, it's like, oh my God, did that just happen? I, like, I don't know. I think that's college basketball in its purest sense. And I know they voted on this rule about three years ago and they elected not to change it. And I'm happy they didn't change it. And I think I'm probably in the minority there, but I think these finishes in the journey of how Jalen Suggs got there to me is a huge part of it. I think if Jalen Suggs hit a three around a screen to win the game, it would still be incredible, but he's not going to probably like run in one motion to the scores. I mean, maybe he would, but I just think it's it's a little bit different then. And then we'd have more time to process it. And I don't know, maybe I'm off, but I really enjoy the no timeout. It's frenetic. Like the Luke May shot was the same way recently in the Elite Eight. I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I, I actually would almost like to see the rules flipped just because the NBA guys, I think, are probably better at those sort of shots, too. Yeah, where I'd like to see college gets to advance it, but the NBA doesn't, and I, I I get why it's flipped because the NBA likes to sell the buzzer beater like that. But no, you're. I I guess I'm, I I don't care either way. Like they can leave the rule the way it is. I I'm, right. I have no problem. But if they were to switch it, I wouldn't be up in arms either. All right, so getting into Baylor-Gonzaga now, which a big part of me and why I believe Gonzaga was going to win that whole time was just me thinking, like, this is destiny. This we has have to, to get this right? game. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, same thing. <laughs> right. So, as I mentioned, minus four and a half opening spread on Bavada. Gonzaga money line on Bavada, minus 190 to win. Baylor is plus 165 on the money line. The over-under, 159 and a half. I feel like... It'll go over that, but maybe that's just me. I guess in most championship games, you lean with the under is probably the smart play. Right. But I just I don't know. Here's what I'll say, and 
In terms of the total, you bring up the 159 number, and yes, the, the common sense in you says, oh, everyone kind of comes out timid to start. It's the national championship, big lights. These two teams have not been phased by either of those factors in any of these games. Like, Gonzaga has not <laughs> come out sluggish. doesn't matter who they're playing in any game this season. And like, okay, Baylor, a little bit of a slow start against um, against Villanova, but they haven't looked like they've been afraid of any sort of moment. They're, these are veteran groups. I don't think they're going to be afraid and come out as like, a, oh, we're going to kind of, like everyone talks about in the Super Bowl, how the first quarter and, and the reason why Brady has never scored a touchdown in the first quarter until this year was that, oh, it's like that feeling out process where you're just trying to get to know the other team a little bit in that first quarter. I just don't think that's the case with these teams. They haven't shown that at any point in this tournament, in this season, and I get they they haven't played in the national championship before, but I don't know. It feels different with these teams. I don't know where you, how you feel about that, but to me that— No, I, I'm, I just, I'm with you there. I think— They don't feel afraid of anything. Part of me feels like, so I think Gonzaga's going to win the game. I think they'll probably cover if I had to pick, and I kind of am rooting for Gonzaga. They've been the undefeated team. They've been the story all year, and it feels like Mark Few has checked more heartbreaks to this point than Scott Drew and Baylor, and Gonzaga's more due Again, to win it than Baylor, this which I know. This is Mark Few's Bayheim moment. This yeah. is his Bayheim moment. Like he's gone through the heartbreaks in the past, and he's gotten to to Final Fours and national championship games, but he's never been able to crack the big one. And it's that passing of the torch. Like there's the whole thing how Bobby Knight, after Keith Smart hit the shot against Syracuse, he's like, he told Bayheim like, "Hey, you're you're gonna get one, man." Like, and he told him that. And then Bayheim finally gets his in 03. and then he says the same thing to Roy at Kansas, and then, of course, Roy goes on and gets one at UNC, gets multiple at UNC, um, and Jalen Suggs is his Carmelo Anthony. Like, I, the parallels are too strong here, and this is where Mark Few takes a team that was a nobody school 20 years ago and elevates them to a point of notoriety. You can get these bigger recruits now, and now you've got your best one that you've ever had to go along with some nice other pieces on your roster as well. This is his Bayheim moment. And Jalen Suggs is his Carmelo Anthony. And that's kind of how I see this playing out, where we could be looking at an all-time classic. Like, if we get a, a similar game to, to Syracuse and Kansas back in 03, sign yeah. me up, man. Because that it kind of feels like we're almost due for that. It's so exciting. It's also even more exciting that we didn't get the game, which I believe is, I think it'll be four five months, to months the day. exactly to the day. Yeah. Or is it four? It'll be four, four months. Because it was yeah. supposed to be played four in December. Yeah, because yeah. mm -hmm. yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that's right. Four months to the day. I, I can't do math, but it's, it's even better that we didn't get that game because now there's real intrigue. And also the way that the final four played out, I would have guessed if anyone was going to be the blowout, it would have been Gonzaga. That was not the case. So now there's real belief, I think, that Baylor can knock them off. And there's also real belief that Gonzaga is the team of destiny after a shot like that banks in in the manner in which it did. Yeah, there, there's two like greater college basketball gods forces at odds here. I mean, yeah. you've got two coaches who haven't ever won the big one. Mark Few's got more experience with it, unless you count the NIT, then uh, advantage or Scott Drew has won the big one in that case. But I look at 
to me, this game is going to come down to, and I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game. That's why I lean with the over. Like, I think this game's going to be played in the high 80s, and honestly, would not be shocked if it goes to overtime. In fact, I would love overtime. <laughs> I would love awesome. to get... Yeah. If you could get me 45 for 50 minutes of these two teams, sign me up, man. We just got our the, first in 23 years. Can we get our second two days later, yeah, please, in the Final exactly. Four? <laughs> yeah, exactly one tournament Are after. Are getting Can greedy? We, I don't know. <laughs> no, no. I mean... Listen, it's never too greedy to ask for more sports, especially in this NCAA tournament after missing out on it from a season ago. So whatever you ask for, I will not, my, like my greed, my greed radar, my greed R is not going to go off on you at all here. But I'm looking at why I think this is going to be a high scoring game is I feel like Baylor's going to try to attack them offensively. Like they want to make this an offensive game. But in reality, I think if they want to win, they should try to make it a defensive game. Because yeah. Gonzaga's defense, solid, but there's still some, like, there are some places to exploit them. Like, I, I'm i trying to think of the, the matchups to pinpoint here. I, I'll say this. Davion Mitchell's not afraid of anyone. Not yeah. afraid of anyone. And like, I'm looking like at dude, Davion Mitchell over-under on Bovada. Guess what his over-under is for points, for if you points. haven't seen it. I'm going to say, yeah. I know he's the favorite on among Baylor players to win most outstanding player. I'm going to go with 15 and a half. 14 and a half. So I think okay. you hit the over there, right? Like, yeah, it's minus 125. So you got to swallow some juice on Bovada. I also think Adam Flagler o- over under points, eight and a half on Bovada. I kind of like their the DiVincenzo. Over. He's their DiVincenzo. Like Every time I watch Baylor, and... he comes through. And I don't know. Yeah. I think he's been a cool story. I, I obviously will probably just bet overs because they're more fun. You don't really want to root against a college kid on the biggest stage of their life. And <laughs> there's a lot the of intriguing overs. That you just berate the entire game and just root against. It's like, what what didn't we do this one time where we, we picked a golfer at the Masters to root against? We just picked a guy to, to miss the cut? Yeah, but they're like professional athletes that are getting paid. <laughs> true, I mean, <laughs> true, very true. It this is a little is, different. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it's, a, you know, I'll look for money where I can get money. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Right. I think I'll lean overs mostly because I do think it will be a higher scoring game. And you're right. I think the higher the scoring, the more that the, that favors Gonzaga. I I don't know. I, I'm looking at it's overwhelming. There's a lot of Bavada prop bets, which is fun. I mean, it's cool when we get to this stage because there's so many different things. I mean, that you the prop can bet builders on. out to play on Bavada right now. I mean, that's yeah. always fun. You can get odds on pretty much anything you want here. And right. I also think too. Uh, like I love looking at the, and I don't know why this has become a fascination of mine lately, but I love looking at who is going to be the Dante Divincenzo of these games. Like who's going to be the guy. Well, don't you have a Yai and a bet already? I have Joel Yai right now at 35 to 1 to be the most outstanding player of the tournament. And he put Mm. together a nice little game to to really help. Like he didn't hit the big shot, but in terms of why that team won. He kept them in the game in the first half. He he is their Dante Divincenzo. Like he's gonna keep him afloat. He's gonna hit a couple threes for you in the first half, maybe. He'll he'll facilitate. He'll rebound for you. Like, if you had to pick one Gonzaga player, or really one player in this entire game to drop a triple double, that's your pick. 
because he can do everything for you. I He is one of my favorite players to watch in college basketball right now. He is the most underrated player, I think, that you're going to see in this game. Right. And like those guys, those are the guys who you hear about it all the time. Those are the guys who really have success in these sort of games. Like they kind of fly under the radar. The scouting report's obviously going to be on the Jalen Suggs, the Corey Kispert, the Drew Timmies, the Jared Butlers, the Davion Mitchells. But then it's the guys like Ayayi, it's the guys like Flagler that fly under the radar a little bit and can pop off in these games because maybe they get lost in in the, the scouting reports and stuff like that. Yeah, if anyone comes up to me that's not a big college basketball fan this year and they've been like, is Gonzaga really that good? My number one line or response is always, their fourth best player is a guy, Joel Ayayi. He had a triple-double this year. <laughs> like yeah. that's and how you summarize it he's gonna be a, a first sentence. round pick probably i mean he was probably yeah. a guy who was like a fringe first round entering the tournament but i mean find me an nba gm that wouldn't want a guy like that on his team right i, mean, I saw he, he was like fantastic. 45 on big boards i went and looked it up during the game because i'm thinking what more could you be looking for i guess a little bit better jumper but gosh it feels like he does so I mean, many he, good but things. he can hit threes too like that's the thing yeah he's got a good enough three where it's like okay Put him with an NBA shooting coach. He'll be good to go. Right. So a couple other prop bets before we get out of here. You mentioned the overtime thing. It feels unlikely that we'll get it again, but maybe because of pandemic, we're just going to get spoiled we're here due. in the Final Four. And will the game go to overtime of Bavada? Plus 850 right now if it does go to overtime. Yes. So you would net $85 if you put down 10 for that. I do feel like if you really feel good about Gonzaga, it's worth betting some of these winning margin bets because Gonzaga you can get, say, by 10 to 13 points plus 650. Gonzaga by 14 to 16 points plus 1,100. It's kind of dicey because it's hard to pick which one, but maybe you just throw a little bit on like 7 through 16 and hopefully one of those hits because I could see Gonzaga winning by 15. I don't know if I can see Baylor winning by 15, and I hope that's not the case because, like I said, I'm rooting for Mark Few and the Zags, but Gonzaga could win by double digits, I think. I, Yeah. It feels like, okay, so Gonzaga has, I won't say hiccuped, but they've had two games all season long that they have not won by double digits. It feels like it's going to get back to, like, I feel like too many people are going to see that that close game against UCLA and think, oh, well, Baylor Baylor smoked Houston in their game against a much better team in Houston. Like, they're, they're destined it. And you're giving me four and a half points. Like, that's easy money. I, I could see it getting out of hand in favor of Baylor, uh, or in favor of, of Gonzaga, like you said. I, I could. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's a very tough like I could see this game going so many different ways. Like, are things and the pressure starting to catch up with Gonzaga a little bit? Are what's going to happen when they face the number one three point shooting team in the country? Now, there's so many different dimensions to this game. Like I could really see it going any. And I'm talking like I could see Gonzaga losing by double digits too. Like if Baylor makes this a defensive game, and they kind of play this like the Illinois game that they had earlier in the season. It totally could. It totally could be a game that that Baylor wins by ten. Listen, I'm not. I just I don't know if you can do that it. against Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah you like, can't. I don't, I don't know either. But this is also going to be one of the better defensive teams they've played all season long. So, yep. 
it, it'll be it'll be but something. They put I, up how many on Virginia? I mean, they've right. They've kind of just like, done it against everyone at this point. I know. So. Yeah. It, let, listen, in terms of how I would tier these, like Baylor wins close, Baylor blows out, Gonzaga wins close, Gonzaga blows out. I'm putting Baylor blows out as number four of the, yeah, the likely too. outcomes, but there that universe exists. Like, sure, it, yeah. Like, UCLA was never gonna blow out Gonzaga, right? It just was never going to happen. That universe no. did not exist. The universe does exist where Baylor does maybe blow out Gonzaga. And by yeah. blowout, I'm not saying like 25 points, like it's a a, a 116 matchup yeah. or the Houston game. Like I don't think it's going to be that level of dismantling, but 12-14, like I could see it. I, I think like the, the formula exists, all right? The formula exists where Baylor is just unconscious and shoots 60% from three. And, and just yeah. overwhelms Gonzaga at their own game and just has the better defense. So, and tries to, if they can play a game in the, the 70s as opposed to the 80s or 90s, I could see it. Like, I, I could. I just, again, it's still fourth in my, my tier of likely outcomes. All right. Well, we will be back to recap the game Tuesday in your podcast feeds, wherever you get it. You can subscribe now. So you'll get all our reactions to the final game. Hopefully it's it's as exciting as the UCLA-Gonzaga game, and hopefully we get I think the we are game get, of destiny. That we what did you say, 850 on Bovada for, for the overtime? Yeah. Are you going to hit that? I might. Yeah. We'll, we'll, ta- we'll text. That's a fun I, bet. I mean, why not go for it? We're, yeah, you know what? Look, look, packed. Packed. Little little uh, blood oath right now, all right? We're taking it. Okay. We're going to take cool. it. Cool. Okay? Well. All right. That that we'll we'll have to just stop the podcast and and I'll lock yeah. it in right now. We'll talk numbers later. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll be back on Tuesday to recap it all. Follow the show on Twitter at Made the Number Four March. We'll be tweeting out some thoughts during the national title game from that account, and we will talk to you guys after Gonzaga Baylor in the national title game on Tuesday. The game was over.